up in a kind of outside Texas on this little farm. And on this farm, we had a nice garden. We had chickens and geese and ducks. We had goats and we had some sheep. Now, raising sheep for several years, I've learned something about them. What do you think that is? I'm hearing a lot of words. <laughs> they stubborn, they smell. Well, they're all that because they're not very bright. I learned that they are some of the dumbest animals on the face of the earth. And it really makes you understand why they need a shepherd. Why sheep need a, to, someone to guide them along in their lives because otherwise they're not going to make it. Unlike cows and other animals. Because we had this one um, kind of a big ram and I'd, I'd bring, get the food, and I'd go out into the pasture to feed him, and he would just headbutt me in the legs and knock me over almost every time. It's like, buddy, I'm trying to bring you food, and this is how you're going to repay me? And we had this other uh, female sheep, right? We actually act a lot of them like this. So we had a shed because in Houston in the summertime, it can get a little warm. So, you know, you don't want to be outside that much. But instead of going into the shed what these sheep would do is just stick their head in the shade, leaving their bodies completely exposed to the blistering Houston heat. And I guess in some sheep logic, they thought this was fine. But this is what it was like to raise sheep. So, but, so growing up in the church and raising sheep, I always kind of struggle with Jesus comparing us to sheep. It's like, is this what you think of us? Like <laughs> these mindless, dumb animals? But I'm going to get this straightened out here. Maybe I am one of those mindless dumb animals. <laughs> but um, anyway, but as I've grown and what I've learned throughout the years is really we are sheep. And it's not because we're not we're mindless or dumb. It's because we need a shepherd. We need guidance. We need someone to show us a path because we as sheep will go astray. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to continue on in John 10 in our series, So That You May Believe, Kind of continuing on with what Scott started last week about the shepherd and the sheep. So we're going to read that passage right now. It's John 10, 22 through 39. So uh, I need my big glasses on. So it says, At the time of the Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem, it was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are on the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. <clears throat> so Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, It is not written in your law. Is it not written in your law that I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, the scripture cannot be broken. Do you say of him who the Father consecrated and sent to the world, You are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? 
If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe in the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. So a little background about this passage is Jesus was essentially, this was a time of his, his ministry there. He was attending a lot of um, outdoor celebrations, a lot of uh, holidays, religious events, weddings. I mean, there are t-shirts being made. There are, uh, you know, vi- video going viral. This is a big deal going on. You know, it was, it was the time his ministry, he was intentionally going to the crowds. So we find Jesus in this moment in what we consider um, Hanukkah. It was the time of year of Hanukkah. So that's why these, it would be crowded and there'd be a lot of religious leaders there, which would address him. And with these religious leaders, what they were trying to say when they asked him, you know, stop putting us, stop keeping us in suspense. The, the Greek word there, what they're literally saying is, you know, cut it out. Will you stop being annoying? Like cut to the chase. Let us know, are you plainly the Christ? It's a yes or no question. And Jesus can't give yes or no answers. So he doesn't answer him plainly. But what you have to understand about these religious leaders is they've been, they've been knowing that the Christ is going to become for a long time. So they've been hoping that the Christ would come. They'd known for hundreds of years through Scripture that he would be coming. And they were waiting for him. Yet when Christ was standing in front of him, they couldn't believe. Because if they asked Jesus in that scene, and they asked Jesus, hey, are you with our Christ? If Jesus said yes, what would have happened? He'd got stoned. He's going to get stoned for saying no, too. But they couldn't believe at that point that he was a Christ because he did not meet their expectations of what the Christ should be, should act like, or should do. And so this is what is the massive irony going on in this scene. And so what we're seeing here is, is this is the point where Jesus goes into this kind of sheep and shepherd diatribe that we started last week. And in this scene, I want to look at three specific people and instances that we need to understand. The first is the shepherd, the second are the sheep, and the third is the desert or the place of transformation. So first off this morning, we're going to look at the shepherd. And I want to ask you the question, who do you follow? Whether you realize it or not, you follow someone. If you think back in Jesus' day, this is probably a little easier because you would have only followed someone in your geographic community, a priest, a rabbi, someone that was, you knew and would bring you other in their wing. But in today's world, we are absolutely confused with the number of people you can follow on, through books, social media, conferences, webinars. It's as long as you want to make it. And our problem is we don't have time to vet everyone, do we? So if we want to find out about someone, what do we do? Come on, it's one word. (laughs) See, I'm not the only one. We kind of do a shortcut to vet someone by Googling them and finding out what anyone else said about them for good or bad. And that's kind of our our go-to in trying to figure out who we should follow. But what do we do in those instances of trying to follow someone because we have this desire in us? You know, I, running this Knights of Heroes camp for the past 11 years, so I, I've dealt 11 years with children who lost their fathers in military service. Without dad, across the board, boys and the girls, the one thing that they all have in common is a lack of confidence. When dad's not around, there's no confidence. 
Because dad is the one who says, you are good, you are smart, you are beautiful, you are strong. Mom can say it all she wants, but it's got to come from dad. And what I see with these kids, because dad's not around, and they're looking for that validation, they're looking for that ability to, to be known, is they will go to anyone who gives it to them. They will follow anyone. They take questions to their peers that their peers have no ability to answer because they don't know what else to do. And we're much the same way. We have this desire, this need to follow someone. But what do we do? The first thing we should do is always turn to Christ. Always turn to the Bible. That should be our guardrails for our lives to keeping them on track and intact through our whole lives. The second thing we need to do is because there are good people out there who are teaching great stuff, and sometimes we need to understand that, is we need to look at their message. What are they saying? If you're following someone, their message should always and continuously be pointing you to Christ. They should be pointing you to the message of the Bible. If they're spending most of their time just talking about how great they are spiritually, probably not someone you want to listen to. But as a shepherd, as someone to follow, you need to look to those people, whether it's Scott, myself, or anyone else up here, that are pointing you to the message of Christ. Because that is where our salvation lies, and that's where our eternity lies. And that's where we need to be looking for a shepherd. The next group we want to look at are the sheep. Now, the sheep, you know, without a shepherd, or a shepherd without a sheep is just someone standing in a field with a staff. So we need sheep, but we as sheep have a responsibility. We're not void of that responsibility. And there's two major responsibilities we need to take, and that's to hear his voice, and it's to be, it is to believe. You know, Jesus states in this passage, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Our number one responsibility is to recognize a shepherd's voice, as Scott talked about last week. We need to recognize his voice when he calls, but too often, We're too busy. Our lives are too cluttered to hear when he calls. So we reserve ourselves to think, well, I'll just pray because most of my prayers are just going up. God, take care of the situation. I'm going to go about my life. And don't realize God's going, wait, I have something to say. Too many times in my life, I know there was a specific instance, you know, several years ago, I was praying for something very specific. And I kept on just going, God, come on, get this done, get this done, get this done. And I think God was looking down and going, uh, Eric, I gave you all the gifts, talents, responsibilities, and community around you to get this accomplished. What are you waiting for? We have a responsibility on our part because we have to put aside time and set aside space to hear from the shepherd. Because you know what? We live in a cluttered, noisy world. When was the last time you actually sat for five minutes, quietly, still, with nothing around you, just to listen to what God has to say? With the internet, social media, and music, and, and concerts, and venues, and hobbies, we're going 90 miles an hour. And God's speaking, but we can't hear him. Because it's too cluttered in our lives. We haven't recognized his voice enough to know and to come when he calls. You know, when I was a kid uh, growing up, my mom had this uh, earth-shattering whistle she would do in order to get our attention. I mean, did, you, did anyone else's mom have that? We can start a PTSD group afterwards because it still gets to me. Like, 
you know, no matter where we were, my, my mom would blow this whistle and she'd just do it with her, her mouth. And like me and my sisters would come running like Pavlovian dogs. It was like, oh, we got to go. We could be playing like down the street with a hundred different kids and she'd blow her whistle. And while other kids are wondering why their ears are bleeding, we'd go, oh, we, we got to go home. You know, mom's calling. But the point was, is we knew the call. We knew the whistle and we knew what it meant. Because if we didn't come, she's going to blow it again, and no one wanted that to happen. We cut through the noise, it cut through the clutter, and we had a response to it because we knew the voice. So my question to you is, how are you spending time in your life in order to hear the shepherd's voice? So the first thing we need to do is hear the shepherd's voice. The second thing we need to do is believe. So at this point in the scene, the... Religious leaders, the Jews have picked up stones, and we're going to stone Jesus. And so he says, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And I love how they clarify this. Oh, we're not going to stone you for all your good works. Well, that was awfully nice of them. All those miracles and feeding people, we're not going to stone you for that. It's for blasphemy. It's for saying that you are God. And Jesus pulls out Psalms 82.6 here, and it's a, it's a verse where... Um, he says, the, the psalmist says that we're all gods because we're sons of the Father, or we're children of the Father. So he's saying we're, because of who we came from, we're all gods, which only probably confused them even more in what to say and what to understand. Because belief is, it's a diff- difficult thing to do. We all have beliefs. We have very strong beliefs, and they're great beliefs up until the time they're tested. Here these Jews were, these religious leaders, with the Christ standing in front of them, and they had stones in their hand ready to kill him because their beliefs weren't matching up with the reality in front of them. You know, there was a study done a few years ago uh, on Tony Dungy's coaching method. If you know who Tony Dungy is, he was uh, the Super Bowl winning coach for the Indianapolis Colts, and he took the Tampa Bay Bucks from the bottom of the NFL to actually winning the Super Bowl the year after he left the team. And Tony had a very simple coaching method. He wanted to eliminate thought from his players. He just wanted to react. He thought if he could coach them just to react, that they could win games. Because that split second of thinking was causing missed tackles or overthrown passes or the not, un, not being the right reads of receivers or running backs. And so they practiced, and they went after it. And they were slowly buying into the program. It was slow at first because they had to read the cues of the players. They had to stay in their position. They had to listen to the coaches. But soon, they started winning. But there was a problem. For eight years in a row, Tony Dungy's teams went to the playoffs or conference championships and usually lost badly. So as researchers went back and started looking at tapes and interviewing the players, a theme arose It was a simple fact the players didn't believe. When they got to the big games, when the game was on the line, when it was a must-win situation, they all reverted back to their own way of playing. Like, I don't trust the system enough. I need to do things on my terms. And they lost. And how different are we? I believe in you, God. I trust in you. But until tragedy comes, I wait. I'm going to back off. I mean, how many times have we done things our way because God didn't act soon enough or didn't act the way we wanted them to? 
and say, God, I got this. Don't worry. I'll take it. And much like all of Dungy's teams, we lose. <laughs> we make the wrong choice. But really comes down to the fact of Jesus telling us, you, believe with all your heart. Believe with everything you have. So how do we believe? Because I think that's the difficult question in our lives, is how do we believe? Well, research shows uh, that there's three ways that we'll generally believe or transform our lives. One is through tragedy. Through something bad happening, a call from the doctor, an accident, something that, that kind of catapults our life in a cataclysmic event. Secondly, it's just our own desire to change. We look in the mirror and realize, you know what, I need to lose, lose a few pounds. I need to get in shape. I need to feel better about myself. And the third way is through community. You will change and believe far easier and greater in the context of a community than anywhere else. For Tony Dungy's team, they finally came together and were all playing on the same, you know, firing on the same cylinder the year after Tony Dungy's oldest son committed suicide. Tragedy. So the team came together and said, you know what? We need to live, win this for Tony. Community. And they won the Super Bowl that year. This is where we find ourselves. You're either going to come to a tragic event, you're going to believe in yourself, or you're going to believe through the context of community. We've seen this over and over again where through community you're going to change, you're going to transform, you're going to live a different life. We see this through Alcoholics Anonymous. We see this through group counseling. And we see it through group exercise. If you're trying to do a solo venture, you're more than likely going to fail because you need others around you. It's the way we were built in order to succeed and change our lives. Can you learn more about the Bible on your own? Probably. Is it going to make a difference? Probably not. Is the church perfect? Absolutely not. Because I don't know about you, but we're full of sinners. And I'm not perfect in any way. But through the help of community, through getting together with other individuals, we have a responsibility to transform our own lives. At OBJ, we have women's groups, we have men's groups, we have small groups. Stop waiting for something you like and fits your needs and adamantly looking for community to grow your life in, to grow closer to God, so you can believe in order to hear the shepherd's voice. That's why we need community, and that's our responsibility as sheep. The last thing I'm going to look at this morning is the desert, because the desert is a place, especially in the context of this scripture, where sheep would have been most likely rounded up and kept. <clears throat> it's a place of transformation as well. You know, Jesus came to the religious leaders and they rejected him. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. But he'd gone to the desert and thousands of people would follow him who were struggling, who were tax collectors, prostitutes, down on their luck, hurting, because they needed the message of Christ. Which shows us we're rarely going to transform in the comforts of our own life. We need to believe and we need to understand what happens in the desert. Because researchers in this study from MIT it showed that wanting to change is not enough. You know, I, I want to believe more. I want to pray more. I want to change my life. But do I? I don't want to eat that donut. I want to exercise. But wanting it's not enough. There has to be a greater cause, which in other words means I, I'm not going to go work out and diet just because I like exercise and love the taste of kale. There's got to be a bigger reason. 
It means I, you know, I want to look better in my bathing suit. I want to feel better this summer. I need to, to feel better about myself. That's why we do it. And it comes to our lives in Christ, the same thing is true. We want to change. We want to, to believe. We want to make a difference in our lives, but we've never been a point to transform it because we never suffered enough. You know, if we look at the rich man in Mark 10, it's a story of, of the rich man coming to Christ going, I am all in. What do I need to do to follow you? You need to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Not that. <laughs> Anything else. But man, how different am I? I want my stuff. I'd rather keep my stuff over internal salvation and transformation in Christ. And so we stick with our stuff. You know, on a basic level, we have it good, whether we admit it or not. When I look at all the problems I have in my life, the majority of them are first world problems. My car's broke. Something broke in my house. My internet is painstakingly slow. You know, I, I make good money, but I don't make enough money to live the life I want. And even, you know, for me personally, living a life of chronic pain, I'm grateful I get to do it in the United States. I mean, they got something called the lazy boy, and it's awesome. You can get comfort, and you can relax. We don't suffer enough to change. And so we live the lives we have. You know, look at the religious leaders standing with rocks in their hands. Because what you have to understand about them is they weren't protecting the church and they weren't protecting the people. The guys standing in front of Jesus and every time the guys who went after Jesus, they were protecting their way of life. They had it good. They had status in the community. They had good money. They ate well. They were thought of. Everyone listened to them. They could care less if Jesus changed the religion. They didn't want Jesus messing with their way of life because they were living their own lives. They were living a shepherdless life and they'd never been to the desert enough to change. And that's where we find ourselves. Are we going to live in the comforts of our own lives or are we going to go to the desert and submit ourselves to let transformation happen in our own lives? For your Monday morning factor today, for, for what I want you to think about as you leave this place and as you do your jobs or play or whatever you're going to do on Monday, I want you to think about this. How are you creating a life, a community around you that's going to help you believe enough to sit and listen to the shepherd's voice? Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you for this day. Thank you for this time together. Just thank you for your word, Lord God, and just being our shepherd, giving us guidance, Lord God, because we know on a basic level, every time we go things our way, we miss the mark. And so I, I pray, Lord, that, that we can look into our own lives and find that desire, find that motivation, Lord, that, that's above this world to follow you, to serve you, to change our lives dramatically so we can change this community and change this world. I thank you for this, this, these people here. I pray over their hearts. I pray over what they're doing as they leave this place, Lord God. And I pray that as we do leave this place, that all we do would glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you and go in peace.